Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the GoFull Crypto podcast, which we are recording from El Zonte in El Salvador. We've been here a little over 10 days now. Um, we were at the Adopting Bitcoin conference that took place last week, which is November 13th or 14th until November 16th. I might have gotten the dates wrong, but uh, we were here for it. And then we came down here to El Zonte and we have spoken to locals. We have spoken to people that have been here that are from other parts of the world. We've been um, spending our Bitcoin. We've been spending our Bitcoin. We've also been spending US dollars or con converting our Canadian currency into US dollars in order to spend it. So we've been this, swiping our crypto.com visa debit card. This is true. This episode is going to be all about us recounting what our experience has been like in the past 10 to 15 days, however long we've been here. So hope you enjoyed this episode. We um, we want to. Yes. You know what? Let's hope you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> Let's start right away. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Margakshi Palwi, and the guests on the GoFull Crypto podcast are solely their own and are not intended as financial advice. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. So first things first, Murga, for our audience that's listening, you might hear a truck. You, <laughs> you might hear, hear many some, trucks. Actually. You might hear some background music, some birds, maybe some dogs barking. A gecko, a lizard, no, a No, they don't make sounds, but maybe yeah, the grass. The geckos and lizards don't. Yeah, they do. What sound do they make? <laughs> I, I can't do <laughs> Can that. Can you make a gecko sound? I would, no, I was, I was sitting on the couch the other day and there was this really loud sound to the right of my ear and I looked to the right and there was this small little lizard or gecko, I don't know, depending on which part of the country or world you're from, you call Googling it different that things. that later. They make sounds. Point is, we are recording this um, at our Airbnb in El Zante, looking at the beautiful Pacific Ocean um, and we don't have control over our immediate surroundings so if you hear sounds and background noises we apologize hopefully our kick-ass audio producer Kaushik shout out Kaushik will be able to take out much of the the noise um and you can focus on our voice and what we have to tell you about being here in El Zante yeah. and El Salvador Keegan how has it been for you for the past couple of days how many, okay, let's do that <laughs> Let's here. determine how many days have we been here. We got here on the 13th of November yep. and it's the 25th Fifth of November. So. Yep. so we've almost been here two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Cool. We've been here two weeks. Yeah. And it's uh, it's actually kind of surprising because basically everything that we know about El Salvador before we came has been through Twitter. <laughs> which only That's true. Bitcoin our, Twitter too. Yeah. It confirms our suspicion that, that Twitter is not exactly a reliable source of information. Um, Did you think Twitter was a reliable source of information before coming here? Yeah, like to some extent. Uh, like, there's lots of really good articles and conversations that take place on Twitter, but um, just it's all opinion based, though. It's not. Well, that's not true. Like, people post oh, okay, all sorts yeah. of articles okay, and whatnot, back. right? Like, I, lots of people post interesting articles, which I then go and read and fact check. But like, Twitter's not awesome. For, for facts. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty big source of misinformation it, or inaccurate information. Well, rather. Twitter is full of everything. Everyone's opinions and facts and reports and a journalistic perspective of what was actually witnessed kind of gets lost in that huge pile of information. So point The being, point is that lots of people on Twitter are saying that El Salvador is uh, like a haven for, for Bitcoin now. 
Um, like at least that's that's a bit of the narrative, which is only half true or maybe a quarter true. Uh, like there's a, a little bit more nuance to the situation, which we have slowly uncovered here by talking to locals and business owners and spending our Bitcoin. And we've we've kind of got a different story to tell. So let's let's do that, Murga. Yeah, that's true. The past two weeks for, for me have been sort of um, eye opening in the sense that, well, for one, when we decided we wanted to go to El Salvador, our family was quite concerned for us, family and friends both. Yeah, for our safety. Most of them. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. We understand uh, everyone's concerns and we, we really respect everyone's concerns. But coming here, I think that the beauty of the people that are here just does not get communicated. Everyone that we have come across, the security guard, our taxi driver, the people in the bus who helped us find our stop, the people at, um, whose Airbnb we're at, the people at the hotel, everyone has been so wonderful. And their, the hospitality here is amazing. The food is good. The food is great. Um, and doesn't we don't mean to say that there isn't gang violence here. That there is. The locals have the, told yeah, us as The locals much. say this too. And they're a threat to the locals as well. But as long as you're safe, this, this country is full of amazing, beautiful, wonderful people. Yeah, they've told us that you basically have to go looking for it and like put yourself in situations where you're more susceptible to, to be exposed to that kind of violence. And yeah, sometimes you can also be in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's right. But for the most part, it has been an extremely humbling experience and journey coming to this country and being with the people, the El Salvadoran people. Um, and secondly, you know, I thought that there would be more Bitcoin transactions that we would have to make. Like yeah. out of, let's say, 50 transactions that we made, I think 10 being an exaggeration, we've probably paid with Bitcoin 10 times. Yeah, and they're both. Yeah. Yeah. And let's start with the first Bitcoin transaction that we ever made. When was it, Keegan? I think it was in El Zonde. I don't remember paying with Bitcoin in San Salvador at all. Uh, I think that we did. I just can't remember when or where. Uh, it wasn't at the hotel. It was, wasn't was at Walmart. <laughs> where, where did we spend our first Bitcoin? Well, I remember spending um, oh, the yeah, Bitcoin from my wallet in El Zante. El Zante, we yeah. bought guavas and mangoes with it. Right, that is the first time. So let's go to that. That was actually the seamless one. That was not the seamless one. <laughs> really? You and I remember things differently. The the one that was at the restaurant that we went to, like my phone didn't work and neither did yours. And our buddy Garrett had to had to use his wallet. No, that's also not what happened. <laughs> that's, oh my okay, gosh. Well, okay, you hang tell on. The story. Yes, that's good. <laughs> So the first big one that I remember spending was uh, when we bought the guava and the mango. It was this lady at the stall who was cutting up guavas and mangoes and putting them in a cup. Um, and there was this QR code. One, there was two sets of QR codes sort of printed um, on this placard of paper. sorts. It was just a paper. It, okay, whatever. We it leave was a the details piece aside. Of paper. Uh, it was not laminated, but we'll just put that aside for now. Um, but when I tried to pay her with my blue wallet, I was using blue wallet, it didn't recognize the QR code. It said QR code invalid. Uh, or to be more precise, it said this lightning, this address is not a valid lightning address was the message that it gave me for both the QR codes that were on this, as Keegan says, laminated piece of paper. So we were, you know, standing there. I didn't know much Spanish. I still don't know much Spanish, but, <laughs> you know, it was obvious that I couldn't find her address. From her expression, I could tell that this had happened before. So, like, she gave me that smile of like, oh, cool, okay, <laughs> this doesn't work. Um, and then the guy sitting next to her 
on on that same street, he was selling bracelets. Um, they sort of had a chat because he was looking at us trying to pay and not being able to pay uh, this woman who just sold us our fruits. So he went to her, he took her phone and then he put in the, he asked her how much she wanted to charge us for. It was $2, uh, two US dollars. So he put in two US, two US dollars in the invoice on her app. I'm not sure which wallet she was using. Um, and then he showed us her QR code from her phone. Um, and then I remember paying with my blue wallet for the two guavas. Blue wallet is the type of lightning yeah, wallet. A, yeah, yeah. It's, blue it's wallet not is a, literally a blue wallet. Yeah, that's the name of the wallet. You yeah. can also have a, like a Bitcoin wallet on there, but you can also have a lightning wallet on there. So that's what I paid with. And then I remember that was my first Bitcoin transaction here in El Zante. Um, and it was not as seamless as I thought it would be because we were at Bitcoin Beach. Like El Zante is known as Bitcoin Beach. Um, but the vendors that were there, it was a food festival. I don't think that they were residents of El Zante. I think that they were there for people that were going to be in El Zante for that week. Um, and I think like a lot of other things were going on too, because the sign of the food festival didn't look like it had always been there. It looked like one of those signs that you put up when there is a festival. Yeah, right on. And, and I think that we should... Maybe talk a little bit about the Chiva wallet here in El Salvador um, and the different kinds of lightning wallets and just the state of of paying with Bitcoin here in El Salvador at the moment. Like we had an expectation that it'd be really simple um, when we came here to to pay with our lightning wallets. Because we, we were already equipped with the technology right. and the know-how. Exactly. But the um, it, it requires that both parties, both the merchant and the payer, um, merchant and the customer, have what uh, the the sufficient capabilities uh, like the wallets the right wallets the right um the right wallets doesn't even make sense to me but yeah you're right like you do need the correct kind of wallet based on the kind of wallet they use so let's kind of clarify that for our audience so the chivo wallet chivo wallet chivo yeah that's the wallet that the government issued for every el salvadoran to download because they did the they did a 30 us dollar airdrop in bitcoin for anybody who downloaded that wallet i'm not sure if there was a time limit on that though i'm not sure either um i feel like there probably would have been like a claim that anyone can make at any point in time on, yeah. on the money that's owed to them uh yeah well they had they would have to enter their information in order to get the the 30 dollars as well um so okay so that is the Chivo wallet. It's the government's wallet and it doesn't work. It doesn't work for most people. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've kind of <laughs> had mixed uh, feedback on that one because uh, like one person told us that it did work. It, it just had to, like you had to finagle with it. Like there was a different menu that you had to uh, go to that said like, oh, accept payments from a, a lightning wallet that isn't the Chivo wallet. Well, for one, we couldn't experiment with it because it, it was supposed to be a lightning wallet. Now, okay, Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system that is supposed to be open to the entire world. But here we have this wallet, the Chivo wallet, that we as Canadians, when coming to El Salvador, could not download because we would need to have the correct identifying information in order to download it. Yeah. And so, so that's like, I guess that the first sort of yellow flag for me was that, that like we could, because we, we couldn't experiment with it. We didn't have the necessary identification to do so. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like you heard that you had to finagle with it, which meant if you are an El Salvadoran who um, knew about Bitcoin and were technologically savvy, then you probably knew how to get paid in Bitcoin. But if it's not you, straightforward. If you're like the majority of the country who, like, Honestly, I'm getting the feeling that 
the fact that Bitcoin was legal tender was sort of just sprung on them. You're not going to know how to get around and a, a wallet that you have no idea how to navigate. And you also have no idea why you're accepting Bitcoin all of a sudden. Yeah, that's true. I remember we were in the mall when we were getting our SIM cards yep. uh, for here. Um, and like one of the people that took us there, I'll call her Kay. She opened her Chiba wallet and she just showed it to us. And she's like, look at that. I always have this buffering screen and it never loads. And she's updated her app as well. But that's that's just kind of what the screen that she gets, the screen of death, as some people call it. That's what she gets every time she opens her app. And she's like, I don't really want to use this. I'm put off by this because if someone has the experience of using applications that are seamless with giving the user the experience that they're looking to get, um, you know, with that already being the standard for any sort of application that comes out, if you switch the Chivo wallet, it does not give you that experience. So obviously you're going to be put off. And especially if that's the first experience that someone has with, with Bitcoin, Bitcoin yeah. that is really off-putting. And the consequences that people are, people kind of blame Bitcoin for it uh, when it's not Bitcoin's fault. Yeah. So the, in, for context, uh, all Bitcoin wallets and all Lightning wallets are supposed to be interoperable with another. Um, you're not supposed to have one wallet that places restrictions on who you can transfer to and from and when you can get those transfers or when you can send payments. And that kind of seems like the set of restrictions that are on the Chivo wallet right now. Um, it's it's not interoperable with the rest of Lightning by default. It takes some extra learning and playing around with, which is, again, like Murgakshi said, a little bit off-putting if this is your first introduction into uh, into Bitcoin. Um, so that being said, uh, here in Bitcoin Beach, or El Zante for short, um, or other way around, <laughs> El Zante, Bitcoin Beach, uh, they use a different Lightning wallet uh, most of the time. It's uh, the Bitcoin Beach wallet, and it was built specifically for the purpose of um, of bootstrapping this Bitcoin and Lightning based economy here in El Zante, and and also to yeah. give to give everyone listening a quick um, recap, Bitcoin Beach was here before El, Zon uh, El Salvador decided to make Bitcoin legal tender. Yeah. Um, so like the Bitcoin Beach wallet is aptly named because uh, there's a story behind that. And we highly recommend you check out pretty sure it's episode 16 with Mike Peterson. Um, and that's we were we interviewed him last September. So September 2020 um, about El Zondin. That was when El Salvador was not even in talks of making Bitcoin legal tender. So it, it's a really great nostalgic sort of episode to learn about what the state of El Zante was um, a year ago and whatever led up to it, you know, up to last year. So yeah, Bitcoin Beach was made for the purpose of creating the circular Bitcoin economy in this beach town of El Zante. Yeah, and that wallet works way better than Chivo. And it is interoperable with the rest of Lightning. It still takes a little bit of a learning curve to get your head around. Um, like it's not very straightforward to create the invoice and then pass that invoice to your customer. Um, but it still works. Uh, anytime that we've interacted with someone with a Bitcoin Beach wallet, it's uh, it's been functional. So um, there, that's that's that. Yeah. So I want to get back to the other instances that we faced trying to pay with Bitcoin. And then there was one more experience that I had when we went to El Tunco that I want to talk about. So yeah, do it. This, so this, okay. So the first payment that I remember us ever making was to buy those guavas. And then we were still hungry. So we went to that uh, Garten Zante Hotel yeah. 
to get food. Um, and what happened? Because you were there for a bit and then Richard and I came later yeah, to so pay the bill. I was trying to pay with my Zap wallet, which is the Zap wallet's built by the same team that builds Strike. Uh, so Jack Mallers and his team. And uh, they built me an invoice and I tried to scan it with my phone. And that didn't really work because... So my phone needed to be connected to my node, my Bitcoin full node that has a lightning wallet on it back at home. Um, and it is connected. It just takes a long time to sync. And so when I opened my QR code scanner and tried to scan the QR code, I would just get a spinning wheel and it would never really connect, which was pretty inconvenient, all things considered. Um, so like we're still trying to figure out what the best way to travel with a lightning wallet is. And I'm not sure that the best way is to connect back to your 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 node wherever you might be. Like if we're in El Zante in El Salvador, and my node is back home in in Nova Scotia, like that's not exactly an ideal scenario um, to have my phone have to communicate, especially if my internet is is uh, spotty. But that wasn't the only issue either, because when I came over and I tried to scan the QR code from, again, my blue wallet, it wouldn't scan. Like it just said valid uh, or invalid lightning address. Yeah. So again, like lightning, the whole lightning network is supposed to be interoperable. Um, and I think that this just shows how early we are to lightning. Because I think that you've got some wallets building their invoicing system and their payment system one way and some wallets building it another and what you end yeah, up with... Yeah, there's no universal medium. Exactly. You end up with a divergence of uh, of implementations, which is not good. Like, here's the the analogy. Like, let's just <laughs> hypothesize that or think about a scenario where in, in 1993, we had like a split of the internet and the internet was like developed in two different directions and like they don't talk to one another and they don't work with one another, but yet they're still both the internet. Like, that's kind of the analogy here. Like, we've got two different Lightning wallets. They both talk to Bitcoin, but neither one of them talk to each other. I wonder how that's possible. But I actually, I had, I don't know that much about the Lightning network in order to understand how it's not possible for two separate Lightning wallets to not be able to talk to one another. So remember when we talked to Billy Garrison in episode 20 and 21 or something like that? Uh, he explained to us that there's two implementations built by two different companies. One C Lightning and the other one is something that's that I'm not aware of at the moment. I forget the name. But that's exactly how you've gotten two incompatible versions of the Lightning Network. Is One's built by one company, one's built by another. Ideally, they both agree on some sort of standard for passing messages around um but it doesn't seem like that's the case and now i think we're both out of our <laughs> our knowledge our territory of knowledge so <laughs> to understand more about why that doesn't work yeah. one problem that i noticed that was common among all of these um, problems that we faced with paying with lightning was that our it, our my camera from the app wouldn't be able to scan the qr code yeah and i i guess that is one of the main problems of have not having two lightning wallets be interoperable with one another right yeah, like yeah. just like not mm -hmm. being able to recognize that that's a valid lighting address that was that's interesting so this other experience that um, we had in el tungo was not with you or i we were there uh, this guy his i put he okay he sells bracelets for bitcoin and um he's 
become pretty popular. I think there's a YouTube video that somebody else, some other YouTubers did and um, it made him really famous. So him and his brother, they make bracelets. They're from Venezuela. They immigrated to El Salvador. They make bracelets. And we, I bought a bracelet from him with Bitcoin. Now he wanted to know um, how, he wanted to convert the money that he had on his Lightning wallet into US dollars for whatever reason, didn't ask. Um, and at this point, we were with um, someone, again, to seal their identity. I'm going to call her D. And she spoke fluent Spanish. Shout out D. Thanks so much for um, meeting up. It was great seeing you in El Trinco. Anyway, getting back to the story. So we decided to, you know, see how we can help me, help him out, figure out how he can withdraw US dollars by depositing his um, his Bitcoin. We went to this Bitcoin ADM in El Tunco, this place called El Tunco. And now that was a really interesting setup with this ATM because what it asked you to do is it asked you what you wanted. So you click, click on the buttons, you say, I want to withdraw money. You say how much you want to withdraw and what sort of bills you want. Once you're done through, or once you've gone through those prompts, it prints out this piece of paper that has um, a QR code on it. And it has a Bitcoin amount that you must send to that particular QR code or Bitcoin address. So it also has the Bitcoin address, but Please. Any, <laughs> Never input a Bitcoin address manually. I really, really recommend nobody inputs a Bitcoin address manually because of the various numbers and letters. And, and they are case sensitive. Uppercase, yeah, uppercase and lowercase variations in them. So what we did was he, you know, obviously accepted payment uh, via Lightning because on-chain transactions take a while and they're also expensive compared to Lightning. So he wanted to send uh, whatever was on the amount, so it was like 0.00212 um, Bitcoin to the address that was printed on this receipt that the Bitcoin ATM outputted. Now, when he scanned that from, he also had a blue wallet, once he scanned that from his blue wallet, it wouldn't accept that address again. And that was quite interesting because we could see the address um, and we could see that you know, it was a it was a Bitcoin address, but like it, his app wouldn't recognize it. So we thought the problem was with the app. So what we did was I went to my iPhone camera, I scanned the QR code. I could open it then in Brave, uh, the browser, and then I could copy the address that it was asking to send it to. So I texted that to him so that he could have it because initially th we thought the problem was with the QR code scanner. So he... You know, then he received the address via text. He copied that address, pasted it in his um, Bitcoin Lightning wallet. And then he had to send 0 0.00212 Bitcoin to this address. So we went through all of those prompts and we hit send. And it said, this is like, we cannot send Bitcoin to this address. What we realized the problem was, is they want the ATM wanted it to be an on-chain transaction but he had accumulated money from, from selling his bracelets on his Lightning wallet. Now, Lightning wallet and I guess a Bitcoin wallet are two separate implementations of access to your Bitcoin. Um, and if he needed to uh, withdraw money from this ATM, which also charged, I think, like a $4 fee, $2 or $4 fee, I don't remember exactly, um, in order to withdraw money, he would have to he would have to send Bitcoin from his Lightning wallet to his Bitcoin wallet first, and then he'd have to send Bitcoin from his Bitcoin wallet to the address that the ATM was demanding. 
all of this with no certainty that the ATM had the money to with to give him at the end of the day and also sort of like no assurances that it was going to work because it took so many steps to make it happen. So that was another very tedious um, example of where we are in adopting Bitcoin. We are very early. And Dee, she said something really, really uh, important and impactful. When we were in that ATM, she said, um, these are the growing pains of a country that has declared that they're going to make Bitcoin or they've made Bitcoin tender and legal tender. What did I say? Just tender. Tender. Okay. Legal tender. And these growing pains are going to teach us and people from around the world what they can do better or what they can avoid doing so that the next country doesn't have to go through these problems. Yeah. These and are she, growing pains for yeah, sure. She had a very optimistic um, overview on what was happening. Um, and I really appreciated her saying that and her saying that to, to him at the time. Uh, anyway, he found her friend and they decided to do um, like a lightning to lightning transaction where he would send his friend $80 worth of Bitcoin and then his friend would give him $80 in cash because he had it. That works too, right? Like if I have just a regular credit card uh, or cash on hand, then that's one way that you can like uh, withdraw from your lightning wallet, give it to someone else. And then receive cash in return. Like we don't really need ATMs. Like everyone, like this is kind of going back to like the manifest destiny of uh, of Bitcoin in the first place. Of like everyone being their own bank or everyone being a bank for everyone else, um, right? Like if I have US dollars, I can totally buy that that Bitcoin off of you. You know, I was actually thinking about that because there's so many restaurants in El Tunco, um, and if restaurants decided to be that vendor of us dollars for people that did need it uh, but that also got me to, anyway i'll finish this idea first so restaurants they get us dollars from tourists all the time and if they became the atm essentially for the people who wanted to sell their bitcoin for us dollars you know they're the best sources of cash to do that it'd, it'd be yeah, like they'd be That'd be a very lucrative thing to, for them to do. Yeah, it's kind of like being an Airbnb for Bitcoin to US dollar transactions. <laughs> well, that's essentially what Bitcoin does, right? And uh, like, I, I love this meme. Um, it, it says uh, Uber, largest taxi service in the world, owns no taxis. Airbnb, largest hotel service in the world, owns no hotels. Bitcoin, largest bank in the world, not really, um, has no actual <laughs> banks. Um, but yeah, that goes to show that anyone really could be their own peer to peer ATM or peer to peer bank with whoever they want. Right. I, I think if something like that were actually to catch on, um, that I don't think that would work in Canada or United States, for example, cause you'd actually need to be like a money service business and have a license to do it, which like just makes me not love regulations even more. <laughs> Well, regulations have their time and place. Overregulation, our overregulation is not that great, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. So, but going back to that example of um, the restaurants serving to be ATMs as well, um, think about it this way: Why would they like? I mean, what I'm trying to get at is Bitcoin is legal tender in El Salvador. If the restaurants also started um, accepting Bitcoin then like the US dollar, where does that go? How does one dispose off of a currency that is or would become deprecated? Who takes that if it is devalued? 
Yeah, I mean, I think in theory, you'd actually take that to an El Salvadoran bank and trade it for Bitcoin. But could, what would the bank do with it? Why would the bank want it? Oh, the bank, the bank would have a, have a use for it. Like they can send it back to to the United States, or um, like there's a liquidity crisis in El Salvador anyway, right? So I'm sure that there, like at least for the the short term, there would not be an issue with the bank having more U.S. dollars on hand. It would actually benefit the whole country because, like, remember when we were walking through San Salvador, and there was a huge lineup of people that uh that were waiting at the bank trying to get cash out of the bank well like that is a that's the example of a liquidity crisis that was a really interesting scene i didn't think that i would see that right so think of it this way um people take their their cash to the restaurants they buy bitcoin from the restaurants the restaurants take the cash to the bank they exchange it for bitcoin because the government has a supply and they're like obligated to redeem cash for bitcoin um, and then the banks can hand that cash back out to El Salvadorans who have yet to adopt Bitcoin, right? Then you've actually just got a more stable financial system in general because everyone has more access to money. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how um, the phasing out of the dollar would be, which at this point, Keegan, you told me yesterday that the US dollar is growing in or strengthening in its... Dollar strength index, yeah. That's actually one of the reasons why... Uh, so Turkey, for example, just devalued the currency of Turkey. I don't know what, it, know what it's called. It might be the lira. Um, just devalued in the last week by 50%. Um, and many other countries are undergoing significant inflation right now because the dollar strength index, which I don't exactly know what that measures. I just know that it's a thing that measures the, the relative weight of the dollar against all other currencies. That's growing right now, meaning the dollar is stronger, the US dollar specifically. But I, what is that measured against? All other currencies. So I think they they take a basket of all other currencies and they it's like kind of like an ETF or an index, uh, and they weight it against the value of the US dollar. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Huh. Okay. Cool. So I don't think I know more to say anything on that. We met lots of people here uh, as well. We met some people from Norway, from uh, from Finland, from Austria, from the UK, from El Salvador, United States. And they're actually all telling us really similar things about the progression of uh, like authoritarianism in general. And so I, I kind of wanted to, to like take this episode out with just some some notes about that, about what we learned, uh, about some of the experiences other people are having around the world. Sure, go for it. Yeah, so Austria is apparently a bit of a mess <laughs> right now. Uh, we were told that uh, that this guy got fined um, and for for just being there. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, okay, Murga's going to correct me here because I, I didn't quite do it justice. Go ahead. That's not the story. Oh, so I'm very good with stories. Everyone <laughs> should listen to me. So um, he is from the UK and from Austria. I'm not sure exactly what his residency status was, but he had all of the necessary documentation and the vaccination status required to go back in Austria where he also has a house. So he went there, he went through the protocol and everything and he was fine. He still needed to quarantine or stay within his house or within the bounds of his house once he reached, which again, he was doing, except he got hungry. And he's like, okay, I can't, there's no service here for me to go and order food. So I need to go get groceries because I'm hungry. So he went and got groceries, he went back home, and then there were two police officers standing at his door waiting for him to come back. They're like, why did you leave? He's like, well, I had no food at home and I had I've been here all day. I'm not sure how many days he was there for. Eat. Yeah, he's like, I got to eat. Otherwise, you're going to have different problems. Um, 
yeah, you know. And then they were like, okay, okay, fine, whatever, whatever. Um, he's like, but and we need then, to fine you now. No, yeah, yeah. Said that, so that they said this is the fine for it. I'm not sure how much it was. It, it was supposed to be ten thousand euros, but they got it reduced to three hundred euros. Okay, cool. So it was three hundred euros, and he's like, the police officer said, you either pay this fine for three hundred euros or you spend. Four and a half four, days in jail. Four and a half days in jail. And our friend, while he was telling us the story, he's like, I was honestly considering spending four and a half days in jail with get my laptop, get some work done. Uh, and somebody else joked that... Get they, a meal. Somebody else joked that uh, he had a very different um, view on what You've happens in jail. In jail. <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. <laughs> anyway, so he paid the fine and he thought everything was over and done with. However, after a week or two, he got a letter in the mail from... The government i'm not sure what authority but he had to show up in court because he judge he had to go, he see, had to a go judge. see a judge and um like from his experience he like anyway I they were wondering why he hadn't paid his uh, his fine but he did pay he no paid but it immediately. they didn't say that in the no in the notice they didn't say that you haven't paid your fine right, hence you should come to the up. judge yeah so, so he, he showed up at the judge's office and she's like yeah so why haven't you paid this and he's like well i did and she, and did then some, she refreshed the screen or she did whatever some research, yeah yeah and she's like Oh, you have paid this fine. You're free to go. And that entire experience of him, like, you know, being expedited to go see a judge um, in order to know for them to know whether or not he had paid his fine. It was just a very, like, odd series of circumstances for for this. So there's yeah, a story. It's just a non-integrated payment system. That's one of the points that I wanted to make. It's like, look, if this was a Bitcoin transaction, I can just show you my receipt. Like, you know, that's your address. I know this is my address. The transaction ID is the receipt of payment done and over with. But the second point that I wanted to connect this to is actually a story that we heard from Australia, where uh, wherein if you took a picture of yourself protesting six months ago, because I guess there was Australian protest six months ago, um, the government apparently is right now going through those social media posts, uh, identifying you, and then giving you a fine retroactively for being in that uh, that protest six months ago. And I guess that fine is coming straight out of your bank account. So the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because, well, obviously the government has absolutely no ability to take funds straight out of your bank account if your bank account is Bitcoin. Um, and I just see like more authoritarianism happening. Uh, and that seems to be the progression and where we're headed in general for a lot of these nations like Canada, for example, Australia, Austria, uh, UK. And I'm just wondering at what point in time people... Uh, start to agree or start to notice that like, yeah, okay, I don't think our government should have the ability to deduct funds out of our bank account. Um, and then we've said this before, Murgashi, it's, uh, it's that um, when people are actually faced with a problem, um, then they go look for solutions. And I think that one of the problems people are going to be increasingly faced with is that of uh, like a l invasive... Uh, action, I suppose, invasive action taken on their on their bank accounts or on their their monetary sovereignty. Uh, so there you go. That's that's the use case for Bitcoin. That's yeah. Well, I think we we still have a bunch to talk about, but let's dedicate that to a second episode because Bitcoin City was announced. Oh yeah, that's just true. last week. Yep. Um, for all of you that haven't already heard, the president declared that there will be a sitcom. Sorry, sitcoin. Wow. A sitcom. Uh, a city named Bitcoin City, and it'll have no tax except value-added tax. And uh, there have been some pretty, pretty good questions asked to us about this news being okay. How is the infrastructure or social safety net going to be supported if there's going to be no taxes? Um, and I think that that is a, 
a whole other can of worms, a whole different discussion that we will record at another time. I did write a newsletter on it though. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, if everybody listening, if you have any questions that you want to send us about any of our experiences or um, want some clarification on what we've experienced, please email us at ready at gofullcrypto.com or just reach out to us on social media. We would love to entertain any curiosity that you might have. Right on. Yeah, so that's it. That's how it's been, El Salvador. <laughs> Other than being hot, um, been pretty exciting and interesting at times. I'm going to jump in a pool now. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> well, everyone, <laughs> thank you for listening and stay tuned.